the fear of God is good. What am I talking about? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemper. I'm Janice. And the name of this program is Bible Discovery. As we go through the Bible, what is this? This is the fear of God. Actually, Psalm 130 is what we're talking about today as we focus on these eight verses. I want to encourage you that God is speaking to us and we'll listen to him. But Corey is here as well. Corey, what's going on? We're going to be discussing what happened to the articles and the furniture that was in the Jerusalem temple. Ryan? Today, we're going to see how the proclamation of Psalm 33, as well as other scriptures, led Johann Kepler to some very significant discoveries. Now, that's interesting. Science and all this stuff, they're coming up in 20 minutes. Janice, what did you do? The Mercies of God is my segment today. All right. So take out your Bible guide. Let's open up the most important book of all. It's the Bible. And let's listen to what God is saying to us now. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Psalm 130. Today we read Psalm 126 to Psalm 134. A lot of chapters there, but they're short. But we're going to focus on in the next few minutes, Psalm 130 to one and, and verses one through eight. That becomes very important. You know, the Psalms are designed to express the challenges each of us face in our life and how God is greater than these challenges. We are not perfect as people, of course, we know that. We are not able to be holy or completely helpful. Most of us know that. In fact, most of us believe the best that we can do is to do our best, and the effort of doing our best is the best that we can give and get. But what if that's not good enough? Hmm. Think about that. Eventually, we will destroy each other. We will destroy our world because of this thing called S-I-N, sin. Remember that God already did something about sin. So the best that we can give is not the best that we can do. We must come to God where we are at life and confess him, our sin, to him. Now, the admission of our sin to God is the best that we can do. And that is exactly what God desires us to do. With God, there is mercy. There is abundance. There is redemption. And even he gives us the prayer of repentance. Can you believe that? Absolutely true. So we need to think differently about God. We need to think differently about 
what we can do and what we can't do and what's the best and, you know, the, all of this business. I want to tell you abundant redemption is what we talk about from Psalm 130 verses 1 through 8. We're going to focus on that in the next few minutes. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. And if you don't have a Bible guide, call or write. Or another good thing is to go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, it'll take you to the page. When you click on the Bible guide for donations, thank you so much for your donations. Now, we don't tell you how much. We don't suggest that because we trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. He will do the work in you. And whatever it is, we'll live with that. So thank you for that. But it takes you to a file and it says PDF download. And you can download the guide exactly like it's printed. I really like that. And we've got a lot of people doing that now. So it's pretty much limitless. So if you get with us, you're seconds from joining us. The most important book is the Bible. As we look at the Bible, we need to focus on what it says to us, not on what we read into the Bible, but what it changes in our heart. And Father, I pray today we would look at the Bible that way. We would see it as affecting our heart. Now, look, Father, I, I'm just a person. I'm a normal guy like anybody else. And, uh, and I pray, Father, that you would touch all of us because the way you do that is through your Holy Spirit. You gave me your Holy Spirit when I got saved and then activated it and all of that business. And Lord, I pray that you would activate the Holy Spirit in the lives of everybody watching, that they would see and understand that your word is alive. It's logos. It's the lasting active word of God. Help them to read and see that Lord and open their hearts and their minds to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now, uh, Listen carefully because we're reading Psalm 130. We're going to start with the first four verses. And this is fascinating. I love it. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Have you ever said that and thought that? A lot of people have. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. And this is what God wrote to us that we pray. This is how we pray. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, mark sins, O Lord, who can stand? And this, I love this line, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. You know, uh, this really is important to fear. The fear of God is good. God gives a way for forgiveness through repentance. Now, remember, there's a difference between regular fear and the fear of God. The best way to describe it is you would think differently if somebody came into your church or into your home with guns and all of that, and they said, get on the floor and get on your knees. Well, you would because you wouldn't want to be shot, and that's fear. But if somebody of deep respect you really loved and you really focused on walked into your house... No gun or anything, but he just walked in because he's all powerful. Well, that's respect. That's the best way to describe the fear of God is respect. And let me tell you something. When we do that, God changes the way we think. We need to understand that and not just take the surface. We need to understand what the Hebrew says, what the Bible truly says. The Bible says the fear of God is the respect of God. All right. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord 
My soul waits and in his word do I hope. Do you, did you hear, did you hear that? Verse five, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I do hope. Verse six says, my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. He's saying he's desperate. Waiting for the Lord is good. You're desperate for God. God's going to respond to you. When we step ahead of the Lord's plans, we end up out of God's will. I have done that many times. I, I don't want to tell, I want to tell you something. Don't do that. It, it becomes very painful. You know, waiting on the Lord is good. It's important. And when we don't, it becomes a problem. So wait on the Lord. The Lord is good. <laughs> All right. Now watch this. 130 verses 7 through 8. Here's what the Bible says. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is mercy. And with him, abundant redemption. Abundant redemption. Now that's, I, I look, I could do, I don't have, I only have a minute, 30 seconds left, but I could do a whole study on that word, abundant redemption, that phrase in Hebrew. And he shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities, an open format to Israel. You see, abundant redemption is what God offers. He will redeem, he's merciful. We should all take it. The Lord is our redeemer and we need to trust in God. Beloved, listen to me carefully. Abundant redemption is the redemption of sin or the changing of sin. You give it to God because you can't deal with it. I have the sin in my life, I'm dealing with it. But then I give it to God, I can't deal with it, God. And God takes that sin and he deals with it. His Holy Spirit comes into your heart and you change. Now, listen to me carefully. There are places in the world where they say, you know, it's illegal. You can't say people change. Actually, yes, I can because it's nothing in this world changes them, but it's them reaching for God outside the creator of heaven and earth. He can change them because he made them. The word of God tells us that. That's what I believe. We need to keep that in mind, beloved. We need to remember that we can change if we access the Holy Spirit and God changes us. And I want to tell you something, that's a good thing to do. Father, I pray today that you would help us in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen. Or in other words, make it so. You know, so many of these psalms were meant to be originally sung and uh, performed in the temple in Jerusalem, in Solomon's temple. So I wanted to take a look today at whatever happened to the the furniture, the the holy articles of that Jerusalem temple. And, you know, you're going to see pretty quickly that it is a very difficult thing to attempt to track through history because there are so many instances 
instances throughout the time period of the kings of the temple needing to be raided, the gold of the temple and the article and the furniture is needing to be raided uh, in order to pay ransom to enemy nations who are coming specifically against the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, not to mention other enemy invasions that actually resulted in the destruction of the temple, like the Babylonian invasion and then the later Roman uh, destruction of the, the temple. However, even with all that being said, there is some still key information that does help us track uh, the articles pretty far. Take a look. The biblical menorah or multi-branched lampstand had its origins with Moses who constructed it in the wilderness. Later, King Solomon made 10 lampstands for his temple in Jerusalem, which also may have housed Moses's original menorah. These lampstands are believed to have survived to the time period of the Babylonian destruction of the temple or until the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, who raided the temple and set up an altar to Zeus in it. This infamous act inspired the Maccabean revolt, which ultimately restored the use of the temple and saved the objects. Regardless, the temple was finally destroyed by Rome in AD 70, an act remembered by the Ark of Titus and the records of an eyewitness, the Roman historian Josephus. He records that on top of spoils of war, a Jewish priest bought his life by trading temple treasures to the Romans, including at least one menorah from the temple. The treasures were then displayed in the Roman Temple of Peace, and there are second century eyewitness claims of seeing the veil of the Ark of the Covenant, the high priest's breastplate, and the menorah in Rome. By the Byzantine period, there were rumors that the temple treasures were somewhere hidden in Rome. And by the medieval period, legends grew to specify that Christians had hidden them. Perhaps this is the beginning of a popular belief today that as inheritors of Rome, the Vatican is hiding at least the menorah. History, however, is not entirely silent on this. Despite the Temple of Peace being destroyed by fire in AD 192, a Byzantine historian writes of two potential places that the menorah could have ended up. It could have returned with the victorious Visigoths after their sacking of Rome, or it could have gone with the Vandals of Carthage, who also sacked Rome. When Emperor Justinian's general then defeated Carthage, he is said to have brought back with him the temple treasures of the Jews. Did the menorah end up in Justinian's capital, Constantinople? Another record claims Justinian believed the treasures were cursed, so he sent them back to Jerusalem. Interestingly, he did build the massive Nia church in Jerusalem. Could this have been a place to house the long-lost treasures of the Second Temple? So there we go, some theories on to uh, where specifically the, you know, one of the menorah from Solomon's temple may have ended up uh, there. I know there are so many different theories. You've probably heard of many other ones. These are more of the mainstream scholarly ones that I wanted to bring to your attention today. That's very interesting, Corey. Very good. Thank you so much, Ryan. All right, well, my segment is a continuation from yesterday in which we explored the life of the great and godly scientist astronomer, Johann Kepler. And as many of you are aware, Kepler was a very dedicated Christian, and he accepted the biblical account as divinely inspired. So when the Bible says in Psalm 33, 6 and other Psalms and places that it was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made, and when Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 33, verse 25, that it was God who established the day and night and the fixed laws of heaven and earth, Kepler believed that. And not only did he believe it, but he also applied it. You might ask, how did he do that? 
Well, his strong belief in an intelligent designer led him to presuppose that the universe should function in a straightforward, logical pattern, believing that a random universe was inconsistent with a wise creator. And that presupposition led him to the discovery of three very important scientific laws, now known to us as Kepler's Three Laws of Planetary Motion. Take, uh, take a look. German-born Johann Kepler is considered to be one of the founding fathers of modern scientific study and the founder of physical astronomy. Kepler is best known for discovering the three laws of planetary motion. During his lifetime, most believed in a geocentric or Earth-centered solar system. However, to Kepler, this model was unnecessarily complicated, and so he began searching for another answer. Kepler's strong belief in an intelligent designer led him to presuppose that the universe should function in a straightforward logical pattern, believing that a random universe was inconsistent with a wise creator. Although Kepler's first attempts to solve the mystery of the motion of the planets were unsuccessful due to a lack of proper data, his work got the attention of Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe. So impressed was he that he hired Kepler in 1600 at his Prague Observatory and tasked him with the investigation of the orbit of Mars. Though Tycho Brahe's astronomers had already been charting the paths of the planets for many years, they could not resolve the complicated paths they saw. Kepler, however, who now had access to the data he needed, was able to solve this great mystery. He concluded that the commonly accepted geocentric model of the solar system did not work. So instead he tried non-circular paths until he found the true solution. Mars revolves in an elliptical orbit with the Sun occupying one of its focuses. This is the first of Kepler's three laws of planetary motion, also called the Law of Ellipses, and is stated this way. All planets move in elliptical orbits, with the Sun at one focus and the other focus empty. Kepler also discovered that planets do not move at a constant speed as was once thought. He demonstrated that the imaginary line joining the Sun to the planet sweeps through equal areas of the ellipse in equal amounts of time. This means that planets move faster when they are closer to the Sun and slower when they are farther from it. This is Kepler's second law of planetary motion, also called the law of equal areas, and is stated this way. The line joining the planet to the Sun sweeps over equal areas in equal time intervals. Kepler's third law, known as the law of harmonies, mathematically related the time a planet takes to complete an orbit of the Sun and the average distance of that planet away from the Sun. It is stated as follows. For any planet, the square of its period of revolution is directly proportional to the cube of its mean distance from the Sun. Johann Kepler started with the assumption that there is a God behind the design of the universe, and believed the words of the Lord in Jeremiah 33.25 that God established the laws of heaven and earth. Kepler's sound reasoning led him to discover these very elegant laws of planetary motion, which without a creator have no reason to even be established. Though the larger part of the scientific community today rejects the Bible, ignoring completely its record of origins, this wasn't always the case. Many great scientists of the past and some today accept the Bible as the ultimate authority and use it to develop their scientific models. In practicing this, scientists like Dr. Russell Humphreys have developed highly successful scientific models. 
But if you reject the Bible, then you must naturally come up with your own explanations. So it ultimately comes down to God's word versus man's word. And whose word are you going to trust? It's a very critical question. You know, uh, you said most of the scientific community, but there is a part of the scientific community who believes and trusts in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Now, ICR is in Dallas, Texas, and uh, they're a great organization. Um, And every time I see them, I read their material. They they just do wonderful, wonderful stuff. And uh, Dr. Morris is uh, just, you know, well, there's three of them. And uh, but the latest one is uh, in charge of uh, ICR. But these are people that have great scientific background and many degrees and all of that. And then, of course, there is Answers in Genesis. That is a great one. Um, Mm -hmm. Ken Ham is not the scientist. He's just a teacher, school teacher who developed it and created it. But he's got tons of scientific people with him. And then there's Creation Ministries International. Again, tons of scientists. And. So it, it, when I say tons, I mean there's a lot. There's a mm-hmm. lot of scientists. And then there's other scientists, too, that are, that are uh, privately yes, practicing as absolutely. well. So, so yeah, for sure, for sure. Not, not everybody uh, in the scientific community believes that. And it's, it's really getting interesting. In the next 10 years, we're going to see how this plays out because it's going to be fascinating. Okay, Janice. Yes, Psalm 130, waiting for the redemption of the Lord. And I titled this, The Mercies of God. I'm going to read it again because I've got enough time. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? That's a very true statement, isn't it? If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Praise God for his forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, do I hope? In his word, do I hope? My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Have you ever spent a sleepless night and you just keep thinking, I just want the sun to finally rise? Well, the psalmist says, my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And as I often do, as I'm reading through the Psalms, I'll think of a little chorus that we used to do. And Rod, I was thinking about, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Remember that one that we used to do? I I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. And with my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness, and with my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. And I know some of you were singing along with me, and I hope that if this is the morning time, well, and even if it's the evening time that you're watching, that that little tune, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord, will just be flowing through you all day. 
so that we can be reminded that God is so merciful and so loving. I remember uh, when we uh, started the church and all of that, um, and you led the worship. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was because we don't sing. On, I mean, I can sing, but everybody would turn a channel. You know, my voice, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. But your voice is beautiful and you sing and it's awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I don't rewatch the programs because I know and I can already hear when I'm singing. I'm thinking, oh, no, I've picked the wrong key. But the truth is, Rod, when we worship God, he does not listen to the right or wrong notes. And I think that when we don't worship the Lord with our voice, listen, it can be in our cars, it can be in the shower, it can be anywhere. And, and, and for sure, when we're gathered together, together as a fellowship in church, what a wonderful time to be able to sing and lift up our voice and in praise to the Lord. He doesn't listen to the notes, he listens to the heart. And, um, and, and it, it, it's a wonderful thing. And so just always mm -hmm. lift up that voice and praise the Lord and, and, you know, leading worship when you, when you say I led worship, you know, I was able to be and had the privilege to be together with a bunch of very talented musicians. I was just the one that was able to pick the music and sing along with them and, and just worship the Lord together. So because God do that, we, worship uh, God. Music is sing. the sound of our soul. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I, and I, I do sing, but I sing in the shower and I sing. You know, I and sing. you sing at church. I do. For of sure. Course. And it's we wonderful. Should, we should all sing. But, you know, there's a difference because there's money wrapped around music. And so much money is wrapped around all kinds of music. But when it comes to worship, it's the sound of your soul. And it shouldn't be wrapped in money. It should be expressed from the heart. And that's what I believe God wants us to do when we read the Bible and all of that. We're reading music. We're reading the Psalms. That, that, those words to music. So let's keep that in mind and let's stay focused that God is calling us to worship Him. Today we pray at the end of the program and we say this, Lord, I praise your name for the life you have given me. God has given us life, beloved. Father, we praise your name for that. We're gonna live forever in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now remember that on Facebook and YouTube and of course, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30, we're live and we are praying for you. Join us. We can pray for the world too.